Working in the studio late one night when my eyes beheld an eerie sight. The computer screen flashed, you've lost all your files, and I lost what was my big smile. It was the crash, it was the VOE crash, all files gone, they were gone in a flash. It was a crash, it was the VOE crash, what now Chuck? Dan Thurman will slash. So how can we go on? Oh, what shall we do? Call David Newman. He is right there for you. But I thought I had this. Oh, so fine. Till the computer said, <laughs> you are mine. It was the crash. It was the VOE crash. All files gone. Gone in a flash. It was the crash. It was the VOE crash. What now, Chuck? Oh, Dan Thurman will slash. I used to be having fun. VOE had just begun. The guests included Gerbyshack, Randy Gagin, well, everyone. The first month was rocking. All we're digging the vids. Valda talking sex, Chris Clark Epstein unhinged. Anna Liana was set to arrive and the computer crashed and well I've got the hives it was a crash it was the VOE crash all files gone they were gone in a flash it was a crash the VOE crash what now Chuck Dan Furman will slash out from the back David Newman did sing I knew you'd screw up Chuck that is the thing so I offered to do CDs once again and said Whatever happened to I Am The Man? Now everything's cool, the computer is back, and VOE rocks, well, that's just a fact. If you're not listening, then you're missing it too. To be on the show, tell them Chucky sent you. The show's a smash. It's called the VOE Smash. Yes, it's a smash. I hit not some trash. Yes, it's a smash. You'll catch on in a flash. The show's a smash. It's called the VOE Smash. Welcome to the October issue of Voices of Experience, and well, I hope you'll have as much fun listening as my co-host Meredith Oliver and I have had recording these interviews for you. And now to our first interview with the one and only David Averin. My guest is David Averin, and last year... At NSA at Influence, yes. you, Orlando, Orlando, the year that I became a CSP, yay, mm. uh, you and Tiffany did an incredible session in a room that was packed like sardines with people squeezing, trying to get yeah. in, 
and you were talking about your systems and your processes, and yet again this year at Influence, you're doing the same thing, a much larger room, and people will be squeezing like sardines trying to get in. But there was something that you said that struck me, and that is how much outbound marketing right. you do. Right, and this is what this is all about. Last year was, was very interesting. We did a session that was intended to be a, a staff session, right? And what was interesting is sort of, I think, the, uh, the interest in it grew. And I think a lot of people know myself and certainly my assistant, Tiffany Lauer, who does a, a phenomenal job uh, in working for me. And by the time we did the session, the room was filling and the people oh, were yeah. on the floor and then they were behind us. And it turns out they, we heard 135 people were turned away. And I don't know that it was as much specifically about us. It was about the subject matter. I mean, going out and getting the kinds of gigs that you want. And I mean, I don't know who would be surprised that that kind of a title, that kind of information would be of value to our colleagues. And so we got a call from Brian Walter, our president this year, and said, would you do another session? We'll do a bigger room and do it as a pre-conference session. We'll do it as kind of a fundraiser for NSA. And we said, sure, we would love to do so. There's a lot of great messengers. There's a lot of great speakers. And a lot of them are starving. And they're starving because they don't have enough gigs. And there's no shortage of, of boot camps. There's no shortage of training that says, we're going to help you create a better keynote. And we're going to help you learn to do better gestures and, and pick a spot on stage and move to it. And then, But the reality is people need to eat. And I always say in this business, you don't have to be great to make it in this business, but you got to be good. But the people who really create long-term sustainable businesses are the ones who have a process to go out and get the kinds of gigs they're looking for. And that's what we do. We teach as a, a part of what we do. I'm a keynoter, it's what I do. We don't want to be known as the people who, who teach, you know, retreats, whatever. We do that to help. And, and I will tell you that the funny thing is, it kind of grew out of the fact that we were getting a lot of calls, several a week of somebody saying, hey, can we pick your brain? Or people saying, can, can, we, can I fly my assistant out and shadow Tiffany for a week? And, and, the, and the answer is no. <laughs> okay, wait a minute. This we, is really good. We have a business to run. Can I yeah. shadow Tiffany and yeah. I hear your phone cha-ching? Yeah. Oh, there is something classic about that. By the way, for those, for those listening, whatever, that cha-ching, that is my college-aged daughter. That is the ringtone. So when she texts me, it is a, um, uh, it's a ringtone. It's, I mean, it's a, it's a cha-ching. And she's, she said that to me when she goes, what's that sound? She goes, was that me? And I said, yeah. I said, she goes, a cash register? I said, well, you always want money. Oh, oh, oh. Isn't that funny? That's good. Now, see, <coughs> so anyway, I, so you, got, you got a little insight into, into what's going on See, I'm thinking, oh, it was another gig, and this was no. just time no, for no, perfection. No, the, the Tom Antion, where the, every time there's a, an order that comes in, it, no, this is my daughter asking for money. Oh. So, so. Okay, so David, you had made a comment in the past that there were, and you just said it in, in your own way, that there were a lot of people who are very talented Absolutely. who are who starving. And so help me understand something of, of, of the engagements that you have in a given year. I'm going to sure. ask you a very specific question. If I'm out of bounds, tell me. I will tell you. Okay. Roughly, how many gigs or how many engagements are you going to do in a given year? Well, let me put it a different way. Okay. Let me talk about, uh, about percentages. Because, okay. Because I, I, I do a good amount of keynote. I, I've done uh, traditionally about 20% of my work is in Vistage. So uh, okay. I speak to CEO roundtable groups and I do consulting as well. But I think the more relevant information is the percentages. Okay. And what's really interesting is, um, as we sort of went and did the, the analytics of our own business, and realized that half of my business, half of the keynotes I get in a year, are, are to organizations who had no idea who I was before we reached out to them. I'm not a celebrity so, speaker. outbound direct outbound marketing. Outbound direct marketing. 
Um, but we don't automate, to be very clear, we don't automate anything. I mean, we have great systems, we have great, great processes for finding contacts and turning them into leads and leads into prospects and prospects into paying gigs. But most of these organizations don't know who I am and I'm not going to wait around and hope that they do. Now there's a certain amount of, of gigs that I get that everybody gets where somebody comes up after a presentation, they go, oh, oh my God, right. do you have a business card? That, sure. that was great. But not enough to pay for my staff. I have a few other people that, that, that work for me as well. I've got a, a daughter who, who graduated from High Point University. Can I get more NSA than sending my kid to High Point University? Uh, another daughter who's in college and a, and a son will be in college in three years. We're not going to sit around and wait for those, those opportunities. So my job is to be very good on the platform and to be able to leverage that um, and parlay that into additional. But what we do as a team in the office, myself and Tiffany and the other staff that we have as well, is identify those organizations who we know would love what I do. I speak about marketing and I speak about customer experience. Who are the, the organizations they have? But to know that I exist, have a chance to look at my video, we're not waiting for them to know who we are. So we go and we search the list. What organizations, what industries have I had success in the past? We reach out to them. We've got very well-crafted introductory letters and, and that have come about as a result of doing things poorly for years. You know, you tend to find out what works and what doesn't. You do A-B studies, sure. send out a couple of different letters. This one kind of has more resonance. Um, and so we send those out. If we get a response, then other things go into action. We do a bomb bomb, which is the video email. We send them a signed copy of the book. We don't hope that it happens because here's the reality. And you and I both know this. We have some phenomenally talented colleagues Absolutely. in this industry. Sure. And, and we're competitive. I mean, we're colleagues, we're friends, we're family, but we are competitors as well. And I got to feed my family. And so we work very hard and we work very strategically to go after the kinds of organizations that we know would like what I do. We, we do a formal introduction. We send links to videos. Our goal is to get everybody to watch my preview video, which is clips of me speaking 23 countries around the world. And, um, and we, we convert a reasonable share of those. Do you find in outbound marketing, more of it comes from, or more success comes from associations or from individual companies? That is a very good question because we struggle with that as well. Honestly, our greatest success comes from associations, but it's not necessarily from the re for the reason that you might think, because we do a big pitch towards, towards corporations. They can tend to pay a little bit more, but also to associations. But the advantage with associations is they they post much more information. When you go to their website, right. you know when their last meeting was, you know who their speaker was, you know when their next meeting or the next series of meetings. They've got a Western conference, they've got an annual conference, they have an international conference. They're oftentimes, um, there's an RFP to fill out. Uh, we, we've got dates, we've got individuals. So we're, we've kind of have an advantage because we know who to reach out to. The challenge with corporations, and we've had certainly a good measure of success as well, is they don't post any of that because that's internal. It's right. an internal meaning. And so we've become much more um, creative and crafty in being able to access and find out who the key in, in individuals are. And Tiffany Lauer in my office is unbelievable at this. We use a lot of different resources. We have a list through um, Hoover's, which is the Dun and Bradstreet list as well. Sam Richter has a phenomenal resource to be able to uh, um, research individuals, find email addresses when, when, when they're not posted. And, um, and great strategies and tactics for that. We have association lists that we, that we use as well to go out for the associations, but um, they both have their own challenges, but it's a lot easier to get that information for associations. A lot of that's just readily online. 
but it takes a measure of work. It takes a measure of research. And that's the other thing is, is we get speakers who look and say, you do that much research for one? I'm like, for what we get paid? So you do 20 minutes of research before you do a particular pitch? That's nothing. Somebody's going to make $5,000, $10,000, $20,000. That's a pretty, you know, pretty darn good return on investment. Sure. Right. So, so we, we do a lot of those. So in, in, in the process that you go through, the process that Tiffany goes through, right? Okay. If she were to take um, a hundred contacts that she's been able to identify in a particular industry, for example, or association group, if she were to take a hundred, what do you presume from that hundred should actually result in a gig? That is a really tough question as well. And, it, and, I, and I don't want to sound evasive. The answer is volume. I can't give you a specific number. Out of 100, we're going to book seven gigs or something like that because sometimes we'll book 12 and sometimes we'll book two. But we have a machine of cranking those out. And, and to be clear, once again, it's not a machine of, of sending stuff out. It's we find an, a specific organization. We've got to figure out who is the individual who makes a decision. If it's an industry that I've spoken before, we tailor that letter. With I've already spoken for these guys and, this, and these people and these ones. So they see irrelevance because all of our goal is about getting them to uh, to click on the video. My my buddy Rory Vaden talks about you know of course there is no elevator to success you have to take the stairs, and we take the stairs every day, and we work hard every day because we need to make uh, we need to to pay our bills next year. And it's about creating that sustainable business. You know the thing that strikes me, David, from what I heard last year and from this conversation. Um, I look, at a, I look at a person across from me, and I say this respectfully, not as a speaker. That is a craft and a talent you have. Right. I look at a businessman. I look at a person that says, I am running a business. The business happens to be providing content from a stage with a microphone in hand. Right. But you are first a businessman I, that has that skill and talent. I agree 100%. And, and I will say this till I'm blue in the face. Speaking is not the business. Getting the gig is the business. Speaking is, is the delivery. Right. You know, you, it's the same thing. You, you sell a piece of furniture, that's the business. Making the piece and, and crafting it and, and, and delivering it, that's the passion part. And I, and I love people say, listen, it's a passion of mine, or I'm very passionate. I get that. But a meeting planner isn't going to pay you $8,000 for you to have a cathartic experience on their stage. They're not going to pay you ten grand so that you can live your dream of making a difference in people's lives, but I'll pay you to solve problems and to increase your sales and to guard it against disruption and to uh, develop your leaders and increase your sales, right? Because that's the business part of it. Right. But the business part for a speaking business is getting the gig. David, I have one last question for you yes, here on sir. VOE. So the experience David Abrin today that's sitting here looking back over his career, what would experience David Abrin say to young David Abram getting started not to do? I would tell myself, don't get comfortable during times of success because it's fleeting. You have a new book and all of a sudden everybody's interested. You're booking, you're thinking, I'm, I'm killing it. And I know people who've made seven figures and two years later they couldn't pay their mortgage because they rested on their laurels. So I would say, don't, don't stop being hungry. And don't and and don't get so don't get so confident that things are good because, I've I've had I've had the ups and downs as much as anyone else, 
and I'm bound and determined to flatten out those peaks and valleys. And we do that with process and systems and, and outbound marketing and, uh, and by having a great team. And Tiffany and I are a great team. David, thank you so much. Thank you, sir. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. Thank you. And now here's another awesome VOE interview with my co-host, Meredith Oliver. All right. Hey, everybody. We're back. Meredith Oliver here. So excited to be on Voices of Experience and hosting this segment called Magnetic Marketing. And this time I'm at the Digital Transformation Summit hosted by BDX. I ran into my friend Jay here. Jay, tell us about who you are and what you do at BDX so we can bring everybody else up to speed. Sure, I've been on board with BDX for about eight years and I lead our content and social media team. And like your speakers, our goal is to create a lot of content. You have a lot of experience on how to get your content out there. It all starts with knowing your audience. And right. when you're writing a piece of content, it's helpful to have a persona, to envision a fictitious person and her needs, and most importantly, what are her frequently asked questions. And when we sit down to write an article for someone shopping for a new home, we said to ourselves, you know, most Americans will buy in their entire life either zero or one new home. And so we recognize that, and our motto as a content team, and it's almost on the, the wall above our desks, is, quote, what to expect when you're expecting a new home. There's always a freshman class yes. of people who've never shopped for a home before. Uh -huh. They don't understand the vocabulary, the advantages, or the steps in the process. So I encourage your speakers as they think about writing their content, develop some personas, mm -hmm. think about the important frequently asked questions, yep. and then identify the tone and the terminology that they're going to need to explain. But one of the first questions I think your speakers are going to ask is, so how do I get published online? Yeah. Aside from kind of the obvious, like associations, like if, like I write for the Home Builders Association all the time. All the time. For newsletters, publications, right. and online. So sure. that's, a, that's a kind of obvious one for us. But give us some ideas of some other places where we could contribute. In addition to those association publications, which are excellent places yes. to get published, you can reach out, like at Inman News, there's a contributor page, and you can actually find it through Google search, click on it, mm -hmm. and you can submit an idea. The key is to pitch the content idea. Right. Like, don't just write them and just say, hey, I'm so-and-so expert, I, right. you know, can you elaborate on that? Two other things that I think uh, editors and writers are always looking for would be research data. Mm -hmm. So if you're a speaker in an area where you either have proprietary research that yes. you've done yourself, yes. or if you have access Yes. to research that is done by your trade association. Yes. Look at what's trending. Set up some Google alerts around your areas of subject matter expertise, and then market yourself mm -hmm. to that journalist audience and think, what data do I either have, or can I create, or can I get access to? And if you can package, and that is the word that we use in the business, okay. if you can package some data that is relevant to a theme with an expert point of view, and a great sound bite, a little snippet of video and a chart or a link to research, that well-crafted package when it lands on an editor's desk is gonna make an impact. 
check out BDX. Give your website address. Sure, we're at thebdx.com. Okay, great. And the site where you publish the what to expect when you're expecting a new home? Sure, that's called newhomesource.com. This is a company that has products to sell, but they do it through a thought leadership platform that Jay heads up and that's what's so cool. So speakers check out how you can do both sure. by looking at this example and that's what I hope that we've brought to all of you today and thank you Jay. Well thank you Meredith and it's wonderful to see you again and thank you again for a great job speaking at our conference. Oh it's, it's been a blast. Thank you. Thanks. And now, welcome to the award-winning program, Voices of Experience, with your hosts, Chuck Gallagher and Meredith Oliver. And now, here's Chuck. And welcome to VOE. This is Chuck Gallagher. I'm your host. My guest is Liz Weber. She is a CSP and a CMC, Certified Management Consultant? Yes. Okay. And Liz, your focus is leadership. Mm -hmm. So I'd kind of like to go in a couple of different directions, you know, in the conversation today. One. You've got a book that talks about five stages of leadership. Um, I guess the question I've got is, talk to us a little bit about five stages of leadership, but consider that most of the audience is going to be speakers who are solopreneurs or entrepreneurs. So how does that relate to that smaller business? Well, thank you, Chuck. And actually, the, the beauty and the simplicity of the model of leadership that I created is it's scalable in that it works for very small or new startups as well as to very sophisticated organizations and leadership teams. I mean, the five stages of focused leadership that, that I create and that I use really talks to what a leader or what a business owner needs to do and needs to keep in mind as he or she is developing a business that has legs. And what I mean by that is a business that allows you to scale and not work so hard in the business, but allow you to build a business that at some point in time will generate a revenue stream for you that if you choose to sell, retire, or move on, you now have a business that worked for you to generate an income, generate a, a, a lifetime of income, and generate something that will provide for you in your retirement. So by, by moving through these five stages and up and down the five stages, you're able to create a business that has an infrastructure, that has repeatable systems, that allows you to create a team, that allows you to plan for the future, that allows you to develop others that can replicate what you can do, and ultimately allows you to move on and do other things in life. Most of us are good at speaking, and we have you know, our intellectual content, so to speak, mm -hmm. but in terms of creating a business that is scalable, that will provide income in the event that there was a health issue that is going to be potentially sellable, we probably aren't the best group of people to see it, that in action. Mm -hmm. So what do we need to do or know that's going to help us move from Mike in hand, money in pocket, to something that's actually larger than that as a business? Well, it's, it's really viewing your business as a multifaceted revenue stream. Okay. And so if we just take a step back and don't look at the business as a whole, for instance, let's look at it as different facets. So for instance, 
let's say, okay, we're doing keynoting or we do breakout sessions or we do training. That's one revenue stream. Okay. We, we speak in front of a group of, of people. Sure. However, we also have another revenue stream, and that might be writing books, and another revenue stream might be podcasting. Each of these different revenue streams, we have to move through the five stages to make them viable departments within our companies. So when we first learned to, to keynote or do breakout sessions, we went through processes of learning to create systems to allow us to get speaking engagements, to fulfill them effectively, to follow up with clients. So we moved through these five stages in speaking. We've done the same things when we started writing books. If we're into, into podcastings or thinking about doing podcasting, we are now starting to move through those five stages in podcasting. So each element, each arm, each facet of our business, we have to move through these five stages to make them self-sustaining business entities in and of themselves. So in your business, what are some of the uh, tentacles mm -hmm. that, that you are building that create what you're talking about? So actually, right now, what we're doing is um, I have a second edition of one of my books. I have the book that actually I write about these five stages and something needs to change around here. We have a second edition coming out. And what we're doing now is we have pullbacked previous training guides that we had available, completely revamping them so that they are enhanced to the second edition level, but also so that they are easier to use and we're creating a version that a lot of my clients can use when they are facilitating boards through the five stages. Because we do, in my company, we do a lot of work with boards on strategic planning. Right. So right now, we are going through the process of developing the systems, developing the learning aids that our facilitators and others can license and use in taking these five stages out to their clients. Okay, so you said something, and because I don't know the details, mm -hmm. um, I, I'm really fascinated because you said the facilitators can use. That infers to me that you are licensing or you have a team of people that can facilitate this process mm -hmm. so it's not all dependent upon you facilitating that. We are, we are creating the certification process so that others can take this material and basically leverage, into, leverage it into their clients or into their companies. Um, one of the, the key demographics that, that we work with on a regular basis are HR professionals, HR, HR managers, talent officers, that type of thing. And so we are specifically writing a lot of our material to them so that they can take it and leverage it in through their organizations. And then when they move to a different company as a certified trainer, they can now take my material into a new company. Tell me a little bit about the, the, the thought process by uh, about creating, hey, you think I'm a speaker, I should be able to talk. <laughs> <laughs> That's not surprise. <laughs> yeah, surprise, surprise. But tell me about the thought process of how you're creating or, or yeah, creating these certifications or facilitators that are going to be out there. One of the things that we're building into, into our certification process is, is we are going to have regular meetups with our certified facilitators with a Facebook group to simply talk with them about what's working, what's not working with the model, but more importantly, Chuck, what I'm finding out as I'm talking to facilitators who are interested in being certified and by talking to others that have gone through this process with their trainers, one of the things that the facilitators want more than anything is how do I, how do I use this model better and how do I help 
it to help me become a better facilitator or if I'm an independent consultant, how do I use it to help me build my business? So they're, they're not concerned with the technicalities of the model. Mm -hmm. They're concerned with how do I use the model to become a better facilitator myself or to build my business. In the process that you're going through, is there specific suggestions you would make to them as they think about, wow, well, man, I'd really like to do that. What's, what are some of the things you would tell them on the front end, either that you've learned not to do or that they should do? Oh, <laughs> how long do we have? Um, dun, dun, yeah. dun, dun. <laughs> that, that's, it's a great question because it is a completely different process and a completely different mindset that you have to travel when you're creating facilitator aids versus writing your own book or creating your own speech or creating your own training materials because the the target audience is is completely different and the volume of material that you have to provide them is different than what you anticipate number one um, volume of material being more than you anticipate it, it's more and it's less because you have to be very clear on who you're writing your facilitator aid to. Um, and again, it sounds basic, like every book, you target every book to a specific audience. Sure. With your facilitator aids, though, you need to be sure, are you targeting these to people who are trained trainers, or are you targeting these to, these to individuals who really don't know how to facilitate conversations? And so you scale your level of detail to your ideal audience. And because of that, that then helps you determine who are you targeting for your certification program. So for me, I'm, I'm targeting individuals who have several years of experience facilitating and training managers because with my model, we're talking about everything from developing systems, processes, and procedures, which could be new startup to lean re-implementation within an organization and, and writing to meet ISO certifications, which is a different level of sophistication. Right. And we're also including conversations about strategic planning and succession planning. So I need trainers that can speak to a senior manager level and understand this content. I can't have someone who just reads a book and think they, thinks they can jump in and just start training. Sure. So we learned that. In addition to that, like anything else that you do when you're, when you're implementing a new arm of your business, we're coming to find out that just because you, you work with individuals who say they are curriculum designers or instructional designers, some can do it and some cannot. So it's, it's a learning process. And so I think the piece of advice is, as with any element of your business, be clear on who you're targeting it to and why. Are they within your, your business scope and, and, and vision for your company? And then be very, very careful with the vendors that you choose to work with. If you've got a, a company and you have the opportunity to train, I'm going to make it easy for me, mid-level managers. Mm -hmm. But you know that really there's a larger population of people that need to be trained. Mm -hmm. Are you moving into the virtual world? Oh, yes. That's, that's one of the key reasons that we're doing what we're doing with the certification. Um, I'm, I'm doing more and more virtual training, more and more virtual presentations, and I love it. And it, and it works beautifully. And, and that's one reason why with, with the book we have the discussion questions and, and the aids right in the book. It makes it very, very easy. Is virtual for you webinars, which is live as a webinar, or is virtual pre-recorded that people can log into their computer and take it uh, will? Virtual for me is a Zoom, a Zoom live presentation. Excellent. Where I share screens, I see the audience, they see me, we Q&A back and forth during the program or after. Yeah, that's what the virtual is for me.
-hmm. without talking about fee, the dollar amount, mm -hmm. um, if this is a Zoom meeting and you're seeing them and they're seeing you mm -hmm. and there is interactivity, mm -hmm. what is the client expecting in terms of fee to you mm -hmm. as compared to a live meeting? Mm -hmm. It's roughly about 50%. Okay. Um, and I do that because it's a complete convenience factor for me. I'm, I'm standing in my office. I don't have to drive to the airport. I don't have to get on a plane. I don't have to stay in a hotel. It's the same quality content. It's the same interaction. It's same. It's Liz live. Um, and it, it allows them to meet in real time. So whether we're doing it for a group in South Africa or we're you know, doing it for a group in Europe or we're doing it for a group in, in Kansas, um, the, the, the biggest hurdle is, is to get the, the client comfortable that having Liz via Zoom is going to be as effective as having Liz in the room. Now, the way that I do that is, um, I, I, even though some of them don't like to have the hookup live more than 10 minutes before we start because they think the internet's gonna die or something, um, I really try to, to be live with them about a half hour before we start. Um, and allow some of the audience members to meander up to the computer, up to the monitor, and interact with me beforehand. Right. Um, and then I want to hear the introduction. I want to hear the lead-in. I want to hear the, the, the housekeeping messages and things before I start. Because those are the types of things I would do if I were there live. And it allows me, during my, my presentation with them, to interact with some of the individuals who I was able to interact before we went live, which is what I do when I do my keynotes. Right. Um, and, and that's just a game changer. And, and once a lot of the audience uh, uh, meeting planners see that, they realize, okay, this virtual thing, it, it actually can work. And it's, it's as impactful as you know, having someone in the room. When you're, when you're in the process of doing this and you're talking to a client, uh -huh. um, do you routinely suggest that as a possibility? Mm -hmm. Okay. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. We have it on our we have it on our, our our fee sheet that we work with at the office. So if someone calls in, actually, I, I was just talking to um, my operations director yesterday, and there's a client in Oregon that is interested in having me. Um, and when when they were talking fee initially, fee was like whoa. And so what well, option right away is, is a virtual presentation, and they hadn't even thought about that. So the contract is going out on Monday for a virtual presentation. I think that's the first time that in a number of years talking with a lot of people at NSA, mm -hmm. before VOE and I ever got involved mm -hmm. with that, that said, oh yeah, we actually promote that mm -hmm. and encourage that as a possibility. Absolutely. Yeah, no, because honestly, for, for where I live in Pennsylvania, to, to go to Oregon for a keynote, that's two days out of my calendar, bare minimum. Right. versus I can spend 45 minutes or an hour in my office, make the client happy, um, and then go home. Liz, I want to say thank you for your transparency because there's so many jewels here that I think for the folks that are listening or who want to continue the conversation with VOE on the YouTube channel, I, I think there's a lot of material here. So mm -hmm. I, I suspect probably people will be reaching out to you maybe for more detail. Mm -hmm. But again, thank you for the transparency and being willing to be part of VOE. Thanks. Well, thank you. Thank you, Chuck. Pleasure. Want to learn something new? Here's an idea from Influence. Hi, Meredith Oliver here with another idea from Influence VOE segment. Tell me, what's your big idea? 
I, I've been doing this for 32 years, and sometimes we forget to do the little things that, that help build our business. Like I heard a, a speaker say this morning, to just take somebody to, to coffee, to, you know, just a few times a week. I think she did it twice a, a, a day, but just, you know, a couple times a week, I think would make a huge difference. Right, and what she did was then sent them a customized one sheet using their verbiage, right? Yes. Again, it's the little things. The little things make the biggest difference, and we forget that a lot of times. Yes, we do. All right, that's another idea from Influence. Thanks. Thank you. And now it's time for Money Matters, here with Joel Block on Voices of Experience. Who are the best sellers in your marketplace? Are they speakers? Are they hotels? Are they other kinds of businesses? Whoever the best sellers are in your area, you need to pay attention to those because there's something to be learned from how those work. Let's take a look, for example, at cruise ships, hotels, and some of these big businesses. They get you in, they sell you a cheap room, they try to upgrade you to the next room, they sell you food, they sell you massage services, there might be casinos, babysitting services, there's all kinds of other things that they try to sell. Why do they do that? Because they have a go deep strategy. And I ask speakers, what's your go deep strategy? When you, go into a when you go into a hotel, they want to sell you more stuff. They're clear about selling you more stuff. You want to buy more stuff. But speakers frequently will work really hard. They'll get a little deal. They'll do their speech, collect their money, and then go back home, get back on the phone, and start looking for the next one. That's not a great business plan. A better business plan would be to find a way to go deeper with the client if that's your business model. Some people don't want to do it, but if you want to do it, absolutely go deep with your client because when you hire a great plumber and he does a great job for you, is your goal to open the yellow pages to find another new plumber for next time or just use that plumber again? They want you again. They want more services from you. They want you to offer more. Let's be sure and do that because that's the best way to draw a line to the money. Up next, here's Chuck with another fantastic interview for VOE. Hi, this is Chuck Gallagher with VOE. My guest is Shep Hyken. And Shep, first, thank you for taking the time to be here on, on VOE. How long have you been involved with NSA? Since 1988. Since 1988. So for purposes of what we're doing here today, my first question is, what got you initially involved in deciding NSA was a home? Sure. Uh, well, number one, in about 1983, I started my business. In about 1984, 85, a guy said to me, you need to join NSA. His name was Tom Riley. And it took a few years, but he finally convinced me to come to my first meeting, which was June of 1998. And uh, John Hammond, who was president of NSA at the time, was our speaker that day. And I walked in, and I had no idea what to expect. And that day, I paid my dues for the chapter, my dues for national, and committed to going in two or three weeks to the national convention that was just going to be a few weeks later in Phoenix, Arizona. I said, this, I can't believe I missed this. So it took about five years of being in business before I got smart and came to NSA. And uh, every convention I go to is great. I have not mess, missed a convention once since then. So now it's influence. But 
uh, back then. But I will tell you, the first one's always the best one. Oh yeah. I took away two full notebooks of, of just handwritten notes, single-spaced. I still have those notes. And every, ever since, I mean, I have in my pocket right now the notes from this morning's presentation and yesterday's meeting I went to. Phenomenal opportunity, and it is family. You speak about amazing customer experiences. Yes. Yes. Mm -hmm. So I, I guess I have two primary questions that I think would benefit the membership. The first one would be, as speakers, and you've been doing this now a while, yeah. for decades, what do we need to do to create amazing customer experiences? Wow. Great question. So if, uh, if speakers came to me as clients, what I would suggest is, number one, they have to define what they want that experience to be. And uh, some speakers might say, well, I just want to be really easy to work with. Others might say, you know what, I've got a really bit, uh, bit of celebrity status. Uh, I want my team to be easy to work with. I just want to go and do my gigs. Okay? And by the way, there's nothing wrong with that. And that's a lot of times what clients pay for. So define what the experience needs to be or what you want it to be, what you want the client to perceive you to be. And then um, me personally, I'll just share what, what my experience is. I want to be the easiest guy in the world to do business with. I want to be that speaker that they never have to worry about. So we have constant checkpoints along the way, touch points where we know we're going to touch base with them X amount of weeks out to do our content call, let them know flights have been booked a week before, let them know I'm still alive, on location, I've landed, I'm on my way to the hotel, I'm, I'm, you know, what time's the sound check if it's 7 a.m.? I'm there at 6.45. That's, what, that's the type of experience I want them to have. And when we get finished, aside from just being a good speaker, and I hope I nail it that day, although hope is not a strategy. <laughs> so, uh, you, you know, when, when we're all said and done and I get my feedback call, uh, which I always do a feedback call, I always want to get response and find out, hey, were you happy with not only the speech that I did, but the experience that we had together. And uh, I want that all to be good or great. And so that's what we do. And it's very methodical. It's a process. Um, it, I would like it to be more of like the machine that's well-oiled, but every event and every speaking opportunity, there's so, sometimes it's different. Sometimes I want you for a half an hour. Sometimes I want you a half an hour and a CEO debrief at the, you know, afterwards. So you can't do the same contract for everybody. You can't treat everybody exactly the same, which makes this business a lot of fun, especially fun if you want to train new employees on what your business is like because there's nothing that's really ever the same, it seems. With, with, the, with the incredible success you have, I'm going to pull the curtain back a little bit. You can take it far back as you want. I'll, I'm what, very open. You know that. What? do you do in terms of outbound marketing? Sure. So great question and it started with smile and dial. Pick up the phone and smile. By the way, 1988 first convention I go to, Phoenix, Arizona. First session on marketing that I go to is how to direct mail and never use the phone again. Next session, how to use the phone and never waste your money on direct mail again. <laughs> and so which one of these is right? Well, they're both right. There's pieces and elements of everything. So back then, I took that to heart. I picked up the phone. I created my list of 100 people, and I used to make those calls. And then I hired an assistant. She would help me make those calls. And there's a certain point in your career where you've got to give a little distance between you doing the marketing and sales and having somebody else do it for you, which means you're still accessible, but you're not necessarily making that first call to that client. It's really somebody setting up an appointment. Right. And, and that's totally cool. But we created that list. And then all of a sudden, social media came around. And what that allowed us to do, I mean, I remember, gosh, here's a great way to get booked. Let's see if I can get into a magazine, like a franchise magazine of like a, a pizza chain. 
And what I'll do is I'll try to sell my articles free of charge, sell them to use my articles. Uh, and I'll create a series. And what I did is I created a series of 18 articles and I said, here's a year's worth of articles. Well, there's 18, we only have 12 issues. Exactly. You choose the 12 out of the 18 because I know at least 12 out of these 18 are spot on for your people and you can modify them if you want, but really that's what they did. My thought was get into these magazines and three or four months later, call who's in charge of the meeting because by then they'll know who one of their columnists are in the magazine. So. Where did I get this idea? Every summer for years, I would go to the schools, the colleges around St. Louis, Missouri, where I live, and ask who wanted a summer internship. Somebody from WashU, St. Louis University, good schools. Some, uh, and here's how we did it. Come to my office, learn what I do, okay? Call and ask questions, but when you come, tell me what you wanna do for me that you think would help me get more business. And this gal came to my office, young gal, she was from Louisville, Kentucky, I'll never forget, and she says, my dad owns a restaurant, it's a franchise. If you get into his franchise magazine, I can get your articles placed in there. A few months later, you can call the person in charge of the meeting. They'll know who you are. That's brilliant. Right, absolutely. <laughs> okay. So that, but today we don't have to do content marketing like that. Today we just post onto the internet. So I am today, still we smile and dial a little bit. We always keep in touch with people. We don't necessarily make the outbound cold calls. And, and I, I talked about this earlier uh, at our conference here, but here's what we do. On Sundays, I have a column in Forbes, which is one of the coolest things. And by the way, it, you can get into many different publications, but to have a steady, every week, consistent column. So that's Sundays. I write uh, about an 800,000-word article every week. 800,000 words. 800 to 1,000. Okay, to a thousand. I was like, yeah. oh I'm gosh. going fast. I'm talking fast. I, I was thinking right. my hearing made in my head. <laughs> 800 to 1,000. Sometimes it's 700, sometimes it's 11, 12. Okay, gotcha. And it's very easy to find content today to write about. And Perfect. I stay in my lane. It's always about customer service and experience, something very tightly related to that. On Monday, I write a, an article, easiest article I write. Anybody can do this. My five favorite articles that I read from the week before. So I have a Google alert sending me all these articles every day, and I just go through as I read 10, 15 articles a day, oh, this one might make my top five list. And then sometime on Friday, I look over and I go, okay, here's five, I like these. I like this article because blank, I just a couple, three sentences, link to it. By the way, the author of the article loves when I do this, but my audience loves to see what I think's great. And, and it's all about, it could be direct frontline customer service. It could be what happens in a support center. It could be, it, it, it's all tied to customer service and what I do. Right. Any speaker can do this within their discipline. On Tuesdays, I do a podcast. Oh, that sounds like a lot of work. Just do it. And here's the thing. Don't even worry if a lot of people are listening to it. I do it for three reasons. Number one, it is alignment with my brand and more of me being positioned as, you know, for the brand. Sure. Number two, does it get me money? Absolutely does because I incorporate, sometimes if you hire me for a speech, I'll do a podcast and you can share this podcast with your employees or with your customers. And so we can tie it in and monetize it different ways. But the most important way I do it, the third way, is that I, uh, I love talking to people just like you're talking to people and getting information. I learn from my guests. And sometimes it's an executive at a big company. I just interviewed the head senior VP of customer service for all of Comcast. That's a big company. I've done this for a number of other big companies uh, or, or some uh, technology, or it's just a great friend of ours at NSA that has a book that's coming out that ties to customer service. So there's where I'm getting the content for that. 
Wednesdays, I write another article. It's a tactical tip. It's about, uh, I try to keep it at least above 400 words because then it becomes an article, even though I post it on the blog. It gets picked up by 12 to 15 publications every week. And I also use that to send out to my newsletter list. On Thursdays, I do a video, and it's the video based on the blog. <laughs> so you said I'm repurposing. Okay, right. And uh, what I do is when I write the blog, I write it in a style that's hopefully great to read, but also I can read it in a teleprompter and shoot a video. It takes about three minutes, three minute long you know, video, and we do that every week. Uh, I'll usually do four and five at a time, and then we just release them over the next month. Friday, guest post. So we have somebody else come in who's a customer service expert, fellow NSA member, or perhaps one of these companies, their PR company wants to write an article and have a place. And then Saturday, random video, uh, you know, whatever. But now Instagram has just announced in the last month or so that you can put video on Instagram as long as it's under a minute. So I went back and I looked at uh, all of the content that I've written and I said, you know, this is easy. What have I tweeted? You know, thousands of tweets. So I've pulled 52 really good tweets, and then I wrote a maybe, it's a, the whole thing's 150 words. Hi, Chef Hiking here, customer service and experienced speaker. My one minute tip is, and then I do my quote, and then I do two or three sentences, and I say, hope you enjoy the tip. We'll be back next week with another. So that's going on Instagram. It's a video. It'll also go on my YouTube channel. And so I repurpose everything, but now, how long does that take to do? It took us one day to write 52 of those tips. That's it, one day. I got them all. And now, how long is it going to take for me to do? Because we got them in a, on a teleprompter. They're going to one, we're not stopping. We're going to do next, next, next. I anticipate I'll probably have to do a few of them more than once. It might take an hour and a half. Right. Okay, but I got 52 weeks of content right there. We'll just release them one a week. So I am relentless in my focus on its drip, content marketing and I'm filling up that bucket. Once you've got that bucket filled, you've got to keep filling it because water evaporates, right? Okay, so keep filling it. Keep putting more content in there. Your position as a thought leader, you'll stay a thought leader. And if times get tough, uh, pick back the phone up again because what happens is there's always going to be people having meetings, just fewer people. So if the economy starts to get a little rocky, we're going to be back to doing it, but that thought leadership piece is already in place. And so that's really how I kind of run my business and drive uh, speaking engagements and the other types of revenue sources that we have. Chef, okay, that was awesome. <laughs> Thank that you. was awesome. Thank That's you. one of the things on VOE you need to listen to over and over again because each day has a purpose and you're doing something for each of those days. That's fascinating. Chef, let me ask you one of the last question. Um, I know that you are creating your business as a scalable form. You've got virtual training. We do. Give us some advice on how do you take uh, your content, put it into a virtual world that people choose to buy. Sure. And it really, uh, uh, my speaking revenue model, if you would, and we'll call that my speaking business revenue, is about half of it is keynote speaking, and the other half is training, some of which is online training and some of which is on site. So back in 2001, big thing happened on 9-11 that year. Big. Right. We, at that point, I don't know how, about you, but all of these speaking engagements were canceled, like right. in a matter of a day, everything in the next two, three months, done. And I thought to myself, we're one more terrorist attack away from the complete annihilation of the speaking business. Nobody's going to go to a resort and hire a speaker to come in, at least not for a long time, if something happens again. What can I do to combat that? 
So I said, oh, I'll go get into training because then I can go to the office. I don't have to, you know, it's not a resort. I don't know what kind of money I'll make, but hey, if, if it really gets bad, I gotta go somewhere, right, and make a living. And I, right. So I, I hired a course designer to rewrite all my keynote content, my book content, and turn it into a training program. They helped me, it's all my stuff, and, and, and they helped me create some exercises. And then uh, I did it, and I hated it. <laughs> It was the worst day of my speaking. I don't know. I mean, I might have been okay, but I didn't feel good doing it. So I, and when I say it's okay to be uncomfortable, but no, I really didn't feel good doing it. So I started hiring other trainers to deliver my material. And this was brilliant. All of a sudden, now I'm doing my speeches and I'm booking other trainers to do Shep's material. So it's not like I'm hiring and subbing, you know, and say, hey, go do something. No, they're doing my content. Right. So. When the online concepts came around, and I got involved on the board of an online learning company before it was in vogue, and it was really expensive to put a system into a company. And today, boy, you can go to great, I'm on the Lightspeed VT platform, but there's very inexpensive platforms that are virtually free to get into. Uh, but you just have to choose what you want to do and the quality level you want to do it. So I, I went into an online program. It was working for a while. Then Lightspeed came along and showed me a different business model very expensive to get into, but I ran the numbers. I said, I think I can make my money back easily in the first year. I did in the first six months. So by doing this, you're creating a revenue source that's quite different, unique, and here's why. I am finding, and, and it took me a long time to crack the code on this, just recently, I spent a lot of time with uh, Lightspeed's owner, uh, Brad Lee is his name, and we tried a new pricing structure with the idea that there's a, a number of small companies, millions and millions of them, under 10, 20 people that can never afford my normal license. So let's create something for them. It's all the same content that we sell to a big corporation. And we created a pricing structure. It's, it's, it gets less expensive as, as there's you know, tens of thousands of people potentially, sure. but it's really inexpensive if you have 10 or 15 people. And all of a sudden it's like, boy, I looked at the board last week, seven new clients all buying, or actually I say last week, from the beginning of the month, I just happened to look at it last week, right? And I, I said, uh, and I looked at our office, the other board, seven new clients, yeah, and they're all those little tiny companies that could never afford the other license. That is an underserved market. Now, granted, they're not going to pay me to come out and do a keynote speech, okay? But it's all in the mix. So we we don't know what's going to happen in the future. So you need to be nimble, and you need to be able to be flexible, and you need to adapt. And the only way you're going to do that is to have enough diversity in your business model that you can, you can maneuver around a, a rocky economy. You know, we're in a great economy right now. I'm not sure exactly when this segment's gonna come out, but if we are, if it came out next week, you'd say, wow, the last few years have been unbelievable. Uh, but you know what? Who knows what's gonna happen? We're one Twitter post away from the economy doing something funny, or maybe the economy's just gonna start to correct itself. And when that happens, companies lose confidence. And one of the first things they cut are their trips to resorts, the budgets they have with speakers. You have to have a diverse uh, platform, if you will, to you know, be able to, to sustain all of these types of uh, ups and downs in the world. Shep, your contribution to NSA is invaluable. Well, thank you very much. Um, I'm honored to be able to serve. Well, it, it really is. So one last question as we wrap things up. For the people that would be listening, perhaps maybe they are new to NSA. Mm -hmm. Not necessarily new to speaking, but mm -hmm. new to NSA. What advice would you give uh, a speaker that you feel would help propel them to the next level? Do not miss a conference. Do not miss a winter meeting. Go to as many local 
chapter events as you can. By the way, if you see a topic that you know you're not going to be interested, fine, don't go. But take advantage of the resources that we have, and, and that's all you do. I, I've, I've convinced many people to show up at NSA, and they show up and they went, wow, I had no idea. Absolutely. So there agree. you go. Shep, thank you so much. All right, much. my pleasure. I appreciate it. Good to see it. you, man. Thank you for having me. Hi, this is Meredith Oliver, and join me now for a new segment of VOE called What's Happening? And now, welcome to the award-winning program, Voices of Experience, with your hosts, Chuck Gallagher and Meredith Oliver. I have joined with me, Simadol. Hi, everyone. Simadol.com, so they can learn more about you. Thank you. Yeah, so you've got a couple app recommendations for I do. Us. I'm okay. excited. Tell me. The first is Honey. Honey, baby. Honey, and I know you use Honey. I like me some Honey. Joinhoney.com. Super simple. It mm -hmm. works with lots of browsers, Chrome, Safari, whatever else right? you can be on. And it saves you money. Money, honey. Ooh. Right. So the example I use is luggage. Okay. We plow through luggage, all of us. Now, you might be of the school where you buy really nice luggage and hang on to it. I'm on the school of get luggage every two years. Yeah. So I'm on Kohl's.com buying another set of soft-sided luggage, yeah. three pieces, and I got my Kohl's dollars in my app, and it's on sale. And Honey looks at my purchase, looks at my shopping cart, and says, we can apply another 20% off to this purchase. I don't have to think. No. It looks for promo codes. They have special deals with certain outlets, certain retailers. And I and I ended up saving 50% on a set of luggage. That's incredible. Yeah, it just happens every day. Amazon, what do you use it for? What else do you? Oh, uh, anything I shop for, if I'm shopping in my Chrome Online. browser, yep. right? And you're, it plugs into the browser, is how you word you. That's right, uh, browser plugin. Browser extension. Right, and so before you hit submit or purchase, right, it will scan what's in your shopping cart, and a pop-up box comes up and says, "Yeah, we're gonna try these codes. We've applied a special discount. Yeah, it it uh, if you choose not to purchase at that time, it will say, do you want us to monitor this for you? We'll let you know when it when yeah. the price drops, and you get multipliers on." Uh, travel purchases, you earn honey gold. I haven't quite figured all of it out. Yeah, me either. <laughs> but I know there's uh, there's money saved. Yeah, yeah. and I like I frequently, as you know, order shoes. Right. Right. As you do too. You have a beautiful pair on today. A few pair of shoes. Yeah. Uh huh. And so when they take another ten, fifteen dollars off, it's ca like that's cash money. Right. Yeah. Now the other one that I use also with honey is Ebates. Oh yes. Have yes. you tried that? No, I just heard about it the other day. Yeah, so little e, capital B, like boy, Bates, E Bates. Okay. And this is not a scam. It's actually a real thing because it seems a little like too good to be true. Right. So like Honey, uh, it looks for any discount codes, but instead of just taking off a discount, it actually generates a rebate. Cash back. Back to you. Yes. Yeah. More shoes. So yeah. <laughs> so like once a quarter, you get what they call their big fat check. Mm hmm. Money. Money. Yes. It's like Costco. Yeah. You get a check for shopping. What else you got? I like trim. Okay. Trim. Trim like a haircut. Exactly. Or... Okay. So it is Ask Trim. Ask Trim dot com. Mm hmm. And it 
looks for ways to save you money. Everything from renegotiating your Comcast bill Ooh. to finding you lower debt solutions. I get statement alerts mm -hmm. when I've spent more in any given month than I usually spend, yeah. which is every month. So <laughs> I, I get those alerts happens. all the time. We need to use more honey, I guess. <laughs> exactly. It's, so it um, sends, uh, it's secure. It's tethered to all my all my accounts, business and personal, and I get alerts. I get incentives to lower bills. To wow. it's it's pretty awesome. Yeah. it's like having a little financial manager in your back pocket. Oh, I definitely want to try this. Yeah, it's and there's there's even more that I'm not yet using because uh -huh. I'm too busy on the shoe yeah. website. But yeah, yeah, ask Trim and join Honey are the money solutions that I'm loving. Nice. Yeah, yeah. When you're out. Uh, actually shopping in person, which I know we don't really do a lot of that anymore. Right. Occasionally I do. Have you ever tried Retail Me Not? I have. Right? I have. Retail Me Not. Now remind me, that shows you if you're spending too much, right, on an uh, item? It, well, it will do what Honey does, except for the in-person experience. Okay. So if you're in line at Bath & Body Works, before you check out, you open up Retail Me Not, and it may have a coupon in there for $10 off your whole purchase, right. 20 off. Coupon cabin, too. That like that. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So that's another good shopping one. Okay. Um, we need to There's get a off theme. of shopping. Let's get off of shopping. Okay. What else do you have for us? Well, lately I've been tinkering with Facebook Messenger bots. Ooh. So I get um, messages from something called uh, Wordsworth. 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 Okay. And I get a word of the day. Now I'm a word nerd. I love this. Yeah. Oh, a new word of the day for those of us who are Toastmasters. You know, always trying to expand our our yeah. vocabulary, and I can take quizzes while I'm waiting for the conference call to start or the plane to take off and just test my knowledge of words, and that's just enjoyable for yeah. me. But there's others. I get one from Harvard Business Review with the latest research. I Ooh. get uh, a Facebook Messenger bot from um, uh, uh, the keto the keto dude teaching me how to eat keto friendly oh, or paleo yes. friendly. Yeah. I get one from the ladders with career tips, which Ooh. I often then weave into my talks when I'm talking to corporate staff. So yeah. I, I'm I'm embracing Facebook Messenger as a source of real information. So not only have we found a cool app for people to try, we've also found a new way to deliver content. Right. Then maybe we need to figure out how to do this ourselves. Huh? That'll be a topic at Influence next year, I'm sure. Right? Okay, yeah. very cool. Well, Simadol, you have been a pleasure. This has been an honor. Thanks. You, hey, everybody. Thank you. You're amazing, and we love your energy and your fun factor and your sway factor thank and you. all the things you got going on. You can learn more about her at Simadol.com. See you online. Yeah, that's it for what's happening. We'll talk to you soon. This is Meredith Oliver, and here's another outstanding interview with my co-host, Chuck Gallagher. Uh, this is Chuck Gallagher with Voices of Experience. My guest is Kaplan Mowbray. Kaplan, you got energy. Let's do this. <laughs> you have got some energy. Okay. And you've got a great book, The 10Ks of Personal Branding. That's right. So for speakers, one of the big challenges is always, you know, how do I create that brand yes. that's going to be distinctive and that I can sell. Yes, uh, you know one of the great things about being a speaker is you become a brand. Whether you like it, know it, or not, you become a brand. And when people are picking someone for an event, 
they pick someone that they know, that they trust, that they remember, that they like, that they connect to, or someone that has a brand that resonates with their audience. So when you think about building your speaker brand, it's really important to create a way to be remembered. Okay. I think that's really one of the, one of the, the when I talk to speakers about becoming successful in this industry, it's around why do people remember you in addition to your content? What's the persona that you've created? And then what is it that people say about you when you're not in the room? And when you can put those things together, you actually build the ingredients that create a brand. So, for example, uh, people always ask me, well, what's up with the green ball? What's up with the green tie? You know, green is for growth. And I always want you to grow your life or grow your career when you hear me speak. So I wear green as a symbol, but when I'm in a room and someone says, hey, we saw this speaker, he played the saxophone, he wore a green tie, they know exactly. You right. Know, the Spider-Man mask. So sometimes I put on a mask and I talk about being a great hero. And I, and I did this. You know, we're all, we're all a superhero when we deliver what we do to help our audiences. Uh, but we also have to know our superpowers. And again, this comes back to when you're a brand, you know what you want to be known for. You're very consistent, but you also build a persona and a, and a way to be remembered. So yeah. at what point in the progress of your speaking career sure. did you connect with Oh, green is for growth. Gosh, I've got to do the green tie. Gosh, there's a green ball. How did that process yeah. take place that connected those dots? You know, I, um, one day I put on a, a black suit and a green tie, and I felt like Superman, right? Or maybe the Green Lantern, right? <laughs> <laughs> and I realized that um, what we do for our audiences is who we are ourselves. And that's a very important element for speakers. Sometimes speakers have content. They share the content with the audience, and they may be connected or not as connected to it passionately themselves. I always believe that if I want people to help build a brand or be confident about their brand and their persona or their career, you have to exude that in yourself. So, um, so the green was about, I want you to grow. I wanted to have a symbol. I, I realized that whenever I put on the green tie, if you will, I felt like I was flying, like I was growing uh, as I delivered you know, my, my presentations and my talks. But I also, intentionally, I wanted the audience to connect that I want you to grow, I want you to lift, I want something to be transformed when you hear me speak. So, you know, that was my thing. Every speaker has their unique thing, but the, the key is in building a great speaker brand, a great personal brand. Find a way to be remembered, create a way to be remembered, create symbols of purpose that associate you with your content, and then Deliver it in a way where people can experience you, not just hear you. Uh, how do you market your brand? That's a great question. You know, one, one of the things um, I always go back to is, you know, relatability, fit, um, consistency, and momentum. And I say that again, relatability, fit, consistency, and momentum. So, one, being relatable. Uh, social media, obviously, is an excellent channel to market your brand. Um, one proactively, but also to what you share. So I share a lot of career advice on LinkedIn, for example, consistently. And that way, people know you're out there. And, and when someone, and, and, and sometimes it just hits randomly. Sometimes someone says, hey, I've got a meeting. We need a great speaker. Oh, I know a guy. And that's typically how it happens. Um, but in terms of marketing, I really send them advice. Um, I, I share information. Um, obviously, you know, passing out information in cards. But, but really, every speaking event creates, in my formula, two to five speaking events in 18 months. Right? So every speaker has their own formula. But I have a, when I talk to an audience, I talk to the audience, but I also talk to the future people that will book me. 
And that's important. That's an important marketing element because you're actually planting the seed for future dates as you speak for your current date. Um, so the marketing is social media. It's staying in contact with relationships and contacts who booked me in the past. It's prospecting for the future. Um, but mostly, it's, it's being consistent. And I truly believe if you're known for something, you will create opportunities to be known for more than something. Uh, and people will find you as you also prospect them. If you're in front of an audience and you know that in that audience, I've got two to five gigs in the next 18 months yeah. that are there. Yeah. Are there specific things that you're doing in that presentation that are really, if you intentionally are planting that seed? Um, yeah. So, for example, if you have and you're speaking to an audience and you know that there's HR professionals who've booked you before, maybe HR meeting planners who've booked you before, and you know that there's future meetings coming up, yeah, you'll mention things around HR. So, for example, if I was an HR professional, here's how I would tackle this particular situation in, the, in helping to people to build their brand. I, I planted the seed by just saying HR to make it relevantly, to make it relevant and to connect to some of the professionals in the room. So, but that is decision science. That's taking a very intentional approach to know the room, know your audience, know who's there, and start to speak the language of future business as you speak the language of your current presentation. I like that. The yeah. language of future the business. The language of future business as you speak the language of your current presentation. So, you know, you're planting a seed every time. I'm talking about green and growth, right? But you're planting a seed every time you speak. And you should be very intentional about that. And sometimes it's the way that you, it's your style. Sometimes it's the, the, the things you mention, the people that you, you acknowledge. But every speech is an intentional opportunity to create future business. But you've got to be contentious, you've got, you've got to be focused uh, and consistent and aware. You um, have a book, yes. uh, The Ten Ks of Personal Branding, Create a Better You. Yes. From a book perspective, sure. is, this is kind of a personal question, is the book predominantly a money generator or a lead generator a for business? It's yeah. a platform. The book is a platform. The, the book, and when I coach speakers as well, you know, the book is a place to package your expertise. People book people who are experts to share expertise to help people become better at what they do. So the book and videos and other type of packaged content really just cements your credibility. And it's an important platform for your speaking. You know, speaking revenue is typically driven speaking. I mean, there are plenty of authors who make great money on books too, but, but in the speaking business, speaking, the, the revenue from speaking versus the, speaking, the revenue from books um, is different, but the book is the platform that gives you the expertise to be called an expert so that people can book you to speak on what you know. Okay, so I have one last question. Sure. And this has been absolutely incredible, but if, if a person came up to you in the hallway of NSA, yes. it's one of the meetings that takes place and said, yes. man, Kaplan, tell yes. me, what one thing do I need to know that will really propel me forward with my success? What would you say? You know, I think in this day and age, um, people try before they buy. And when you're trying to get known, you're trying to get booked, people need to see you in action to have a perception of what you could be for their future audience. So I always come down to video, video, video. If you had $10, $100 to spend, whatever that is, 
85% of that should go to video when you're starting out. High quality video, you in front of an audience, let someone see your style, your content, your delivery, and the audience reaction. And the money that you spend, the investment you, you spend on video early on in your speaking career especially, will last you the lifetime and will pay yourself back the lifetime because people try before they buy. They meet you before they meet you. So you have to have proof positive that you are who you say you are, and a video is a great way to show that, and also a great way to establish your brand as you also establish your content. Excellent. Yeah. Kaplan, thank you thank so, you so much. much. I appreciate it. Much success to you, and thank thanks you. for the information on the brand. And man, I love the green. Man, and go be a hero. Yeah, go be a hero. <laughs>
experiences that you have between the ages of 8 to 18 that create imprints that you reference for the rest of your life. And when we look at how people engage in the workplace, there is what baby boomers dreamed of, like work-life balance, and Gen Xers desired, but millennials will demand, and the globals, that's my name for the generation coming right after the millennials. The, work, the, the whole placeholder name is Gen Z, but the name that's arising for them is the globals, because they see themselves as global citizens from the very beginning. And the globals will absolutely just expect, not, not even know that they need to demand, balance in the workplace. There was an article not long ago that IBM had for a while said, okay, yeah, you can work from home and, and, and we're trying to make that work. And then they came back and said, eh, not so much. You need to come back to the workplace. What happened that's causing a, a big global giant like IBM to say, no, we're going to go back more to the boomer model than I'm going to call it the millennial model? Yes. It's such an interesting thing because there is line of sight management, which is what the boomers grew up in where if I can't see you, I don't know that you're working. Right. And the Gen Xers had to acclimate too because there was 80 million boomers and you know, frankly only 44 million Gen Xers, they couldn't quite compete on numbers. So there was an acquiescing, but then technology came in as they entered the workplace and started to democratize the workplace. But what we're seeing now is that millennials work from anywhere, but they do want community. And so there's this tension. How do you create a fabric that weaves between everyone, that creates that cultural community? And so sometimes organizations struggle with they think that community is when we're face to face. I see. They think that that's how they have to do it, is to force it by bringing them back in. The other thing that organizations struggle with is that they are not great at knowing how to deliver, here's what I need, by when I need it, and how I'm going to measure you on it. So that metric is where they really struggle, and they say, okay, since I don't know how to tell you how I'm gonna measure you, I need you to come back here physically so I can go back to line of sight management, which is what I, that generational code I referenced. Right. Without knowing it, sometimes we go back to that visceral understanding of the way things work, and we go, okay, I'm gonna pull it back. But now what we're gonna see is with the globals entering in, and they're just at their beginning entering in, and the second wave of millennials, they do not need to come to the physical space to be productive. And as leaders and managers, if we don't get better about delivering to them the information of what I need, by when I need it, and here's the tools to get there, they won't want to stay with us very long. They'll leave us within about three, six, nine months, not three, six, nine years. And that's the expense to organizations, is to not be able to retain that talent they spent so much money to recruit, but cannot engage and cannot fulfill their hearts and minds and spirits, and they go somewhere else. When we take it to the speaker world, mm -hmm. the question becomes, how do we as content deliverers mm -hmm. become relevant mm -hmm. when people appear to be less engaged in that line of sight mm -hmm. receiving or delivery and more engaged in the collective information that's disseminated. It's so important as speakers that we model what we want our audiences to be able to take back into their workplace. So engagement. When we are speaking and delivering, how do we engage the audience and get them to crowdsource the information back to us such that we can implement it rather than just stand and deliver content because particularly our millennials and our globals too in school they changed the way they learned 
They had polling in school. They had interactions. They did reverse learning, where they gave them the lecture at, that they could watch at, online, and then they started coming into the classroom to ask the Q&A. So how do we as speakers demonstrate that reverse learning? How do we, before the event ever happens, work with the meeting planner to stimulate the conversation, to stimulate the buzz, to stimulate the dialogue, such that by the time they come to us, instead of us being the sage from the stage delivering the information, we are now co-creating it with them. Now with our, our clients, how do we make sure when they take it back to the workplace, they have a better facility in co-creating such that they have true engagement. Because we know the most expensive team member is a disengaged team member whose hearts and minds are not there. Right. They're just filling a seat. They're right. not going to stay there forever. They're just phoning it in. And for our younger generations, they don't expect to retire with the company they start with. And so this is not their final destination, and they are not in any way worried that this is the only place that they can go to get a job. They've got options. At their generational DNA code level, I've got options. Help the folks that are listening on VOE, because you know you have a, a large constituency. Yes. You have um, people who are new members, not necessarily new speakers, but new members in NSA. Yes. Mm -hmm. You have um, some of us who are, I will call, mid-level career, mm -hmm. and you have some folks who are in the Hall of Fame, been around a long time, have incredible businesses. Mm -hmm. What do we need to know in terms of our language to effectively communicate amongst four-ish generations? Mm -hmm. I think the first thing that we need to know is that sometimes we make jokes that we think are funny because we're mocking a group and that is not tolerated across the generations in the same way. So we cannot make fun of, say, the millennials. People love to mock the millennials and they go, ha, ha, ha. That completely turns off 45% of the workplace. Because right now, millennials are 45% of the workplace, and that's only going to grow because there right. was 76 million born in the US and 82 million with the international workforce. So you cannot mock a generation and think that, that they are going to you know, just laugh along with you. Right. The second thing is we have to really audit our language like the pronouns that we use, particularly our millennials and our globals. They want to be asked for the pronoun that they would like to use to reference themselves. So we have to look at how does our language leak our own generational code as we seek to be more expansive before. Then the language we use around when we're referring to partners, to couples, to marital spouses, we actually have to look at are there ways that we can include all of those things. It's a very small, respectful way of engaging and including the audience. But then we also have to look at our metaphors and our stories because we will use a story that we resonate with us because it was part of our formative experiences. I'll give you an example. Okay. For a long time, I would talk about the, no the sound that Charlie Brown, in the, in the comic series Charlie Brown, the sound that the adults in Charlie Brown's world made. Do you remember that sound? Uh, wah, 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 right? Absolutely. Exactly. And when yeah, it was my, a great sound. It was a great sound. <laughs> and when my audiences were primarily baby boomers and Gen Xers and traditionalists, they all grew up hearing the Charlie Brown series. Sure. But then I was in front of a mostly millennial audience, and I said, you know the, the sound that Charlie Brown's? And they all just sat there and looked at me because they did oh, not yeah. have the same reference point. And that was a wake-up call to even me to say, okay, I need to update that. So it doesn't mean I can't ever use that again, but I better have a counterpoint, uh, you know, metaphor or story or that kind of thing that also includes that. So we have to do an audit of our stories, of our visuals, of our music 
to make sure it has both and. That's interesting that you say that because I remember standing in front of a group and I, I made a mistake and I said, okay, wait a minute, let me rewind the tape. <laughs> and, you know, some people knew what I was talking about because mm -hmm. they actually remember cassette tape mm -hmm. or earlier and others were like, it, it, there was, it was, had no yeah, connection yeah, exactly, whatsoever. Exactly. And it's not that you can't ever say those things. You just have to make sure you say another version of it too. Absolutely. If you were going to say to, you know, via, via the audio tracks to speakers, okay, you need to understand the code of the person to whom you are selling. That's right. Okay, because we are actively marketing That's our right. intellectual property. That's right. What's a resource or two mm -hmm. that we might look at to really delve deep and understand what that code is? Because we weren't, it, it, you weren't raised as a baby boomer, mm -hmm. and I wasn't raised as a millennial, mm -hmm. so we don't know the codes unless we seek to learn those codes. Mm -hmm. Two things. One, there is a lovely plethora of books now around generational dynamics. Of course, mine is one of them. And you, the name of your book? It's Unlocking Generational Codes. And one of the things about my book is it takes a full generational approach. So it's all six generations in the workplace. Generations are only powerful in context and contrast to each other. If you myopically focus on any one, you'll get frustrated because then you're trying to do everything for them. But it's only in context and contrast what you would have done for you or for someone of your generation. So that's the first thing is I recommend when people begin to engage around generational codes and dynamics that they look at all across the generations, not just deep into one. Okay. The second thing that I would say is start watching what is coming up in the news. If you just went in and put in, you know, millennials or Gen Z or um, not so much baby boomers because there's a ton on, you're going to start seeing the articles and the dialogue that's happening around it and you're going to start seeing what people are frustrated by. That's gold. What is it that people are complaining about? That becomes the way that you can be a relevant and resonant resource to your audiences, to your meeting planners, and to your decision makers. You are our upcoming president 2019-20. That's okay. right. So give us a flavor of what you see happening within the organization as we move in toward 2020. One of the exciting things is we have a new CEO, Mary Lou Peck, and in the partnership with her, we have an opportunity to expand who we serve and elevate how we serve our experienced speaker. And so one of the things that I see is that we will increase our reach to people that are not currently in our community. We will actually expand our membership because we will begin to reach outside of the people that have consistently heard about us. And we will be bringing in other working speakers who are in corporate America, other working speakers who are, are traveling um, very actively but have not yet heard about us because we're going to be doing some outreach that's really exciting through social media, through inbound marketing, and we're going to be continuing to elevate, just like we are doing here at Winter Conference, we're going to continue to elevate how we are presenting our materials that matches what our meeting planners are looking for and helping us to understand what are those different generational dynamics that we need to be ready for so we can be of better service. So we're going to be doing that. Um, that the future is very bright for us. We have um, nothing but growth ahead. Anna, thank you so much for taking the time on VOE. I know it is going to be an exciting year. It's so good. I know you're looking forward to it. 
and, and I appreciate your leadership and enthusiasm and know that you're the right person to carry us into 2020 and beyond because the world is changing and you can help us understand that change better. Thank, Thank you, you so much. much. It's an honor. And here we are, our last segment for the October issue of Voices of Experience. Now, here's a question for you. Soon you're going to hear someone who's in the Speaker Hall of Fame. The question is, do you know whose voice of experience this is? If you do, send me an email to chuck at chuckgallagher.com and everyone who tells me correctly whose voice this is will be entered into a drawing for a $50 Amazon gift card. So now, ladies and gentlemen, here is the mystery voice of experience as we close out October. Oh, is this on? Hello? Oh, okay. Thank you very much for listening to uh, Voices of Experience. You know, according to Webster's Dictionary, experience means practical contact with an observation of facts or events. I had a great experience growing up in the 60s. I only wish I could remember it. Have a great life. Okie dokie. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.